This happened when I was 19 years old and living in Texas. I had been in a psych hospital for my mental illness. As part of my discharge, I was sent to group therapy. This is when I met Wade. Wade was about 30 years old. He immediately took an interest in me romantically. I politely declined his advances, but perhaps not as much as I should have, being so naive and unsure of just how to deal with this kind of unwanted attention. When he asked me for my number, I reluctantly agreed and gave it to him. Soon afterwards, the text started. His infatuation with me made me quite uncomfortable, and whenever I brought it up to the group leader, she assured me he was on medication and just totally harmless, so I gave him the benefit of the doubt. After all, he was sick and lonely. I felt bad for him, so I continued to reply to his texts even after stopping group therapy. He was very clearly struggling with delusions and fixations, but overall I agreed. He seemed harmless. At least, I think I wanted to believe that. Over the next few months, Wade continued to text me a lot and invite me out for coffee incessantly. I replied here and there, mostly because I just felt bad. But as the weeks went by, he seemed to get progressively more unhinged, sending me really long rants about God and Satan and fake strange Bible verses. His compliments became more bizarre and elaborate, and sometimes outright sexual. If I didn't reply back, he would send me multiple text messages in a row. The syntax of his sentences became more jumbled, and sometimes the texts he sent made no sense at all. I mostly went along with it, as I was very naive. His behavior made me really uncomfortable, but I tried to tell myself he was harmless. No big deal. A few months later, I had been readmitted to the hospital and I was really desperate to be discharged. I couldn't afford another stay. About five hours into my admission, I had signed an AMA order and I was on my way home. The only problem was that the hospital was about two hours away from my dorm and I didn't have a ride. At this point in my life, I was very ashamed to suffer from a mental illness and I refused to call a friend to come pick me up as I just didn't want to explain myself. I also don't really have any family. The shuttle that the hospital contracted with wouldn't come till morning, so when they finally handed me back my phone, the first name I saw was Wade's. He had texted me a bunch, of course. He always did. But Wade had a truck and he already knew about my illness and in an act of desperation, I decided to call him. The entire time that I waited for him to arrive, I had a really uneasy feeling. I just knew it was a bad idea, but I was just so desperate to get the hell out of that place. So when his white pickup truck pulled up to the hospital, I pushed my gut feeling aside and just got in. Wade seemed very normal at first, making conversation as we started. The route went through a really rural area on a major interstate and should have been pretty straightforward with very few exits and turns. He even had his navigation system all set up. I had told him just to drop me off at the university, never giving what dorm I lived in. Being Wade, he rambled on about religion and God and Satan, as well as lacing and random compliments and observations about how I looked. I sort of engaged with him, but I was very mentally fatigued at the moment. Then I noticed Wade make a turn away from the interstate. I was really confused, and so I told him. 
hey, I think you made a wrong turn. He then mumbled something and pushed a few buttons on the navigation system. I know where I'm going. Alright, fine. Maybe he knew another way that I didn't. But then he made another turn, this time onto a random country road with nothing but fields on either side. The pit in my stomach began to grow as the navigation system struggled to reroute us. Uh, I think we're going the wrong way, Wade, I said a bit apprehensively. Without saying another word, Wade turned off the navigation system. He almost seemed annoyed. Uh, Wade? No answer. Instead, he just turned off the radio and we were silent. The vibe in the truck had now shifted. His face, which was previously friendly, had now become hardened and cold. He wouldn't even glance at me. We flew down the country road going way too fast. Nothing but rows and rows of crops in either direction. I had no idea where we were. I checked my phone. No signal. I began to panic as it then sank in that I was totally alone in the middle of nowhere with this man. I tried again to talk to him and I knew he could hear my voice shake. I was petrified of what was going to happen. Then finally he spoke, but what he said absolutely shook me. He began to talk loudly in a really booming voice that filled the truck. God has spoken to me. I've had a prophetic dream. You're an angel. I'm not an angel, Wade. I said back. Yes, you are. You're beautiful and majestic. I had a dream before I met you that you were an angel sent from God to marry me and bring into the world the second coming of Christ. He began to drive more erratically, taking random turns down even more empty roads. My heart was pounding. I was shaken badly. Wade was totally unhinged behind the wheel of his truck, taking me wherever he wanted to do God knows what with me. I knew that he had a gun in his glove compartment. He had mentioned it to me before about his mom trying to take it away from him. As he continued to yell more about his delusions concerning me and my destiny to bear his child, I began to yell back at him that he was talking nonsense and then demanding that he take me back to our town. It was almost as if he didn't even hear me, his voice talking over me repeating the same delusions about me being an angel and our destiny together. Finally, something in me snapped. I screamed at him. I mean neck vein bulging, head pounding, vocal cord hurting screamed at him. I told him that if he didn't take me back safely, I was going to call the cops. I told him I had 911 on my phone ready to make the call and that he would go to prison. I screamed that he was insane and that I wasn't an angel and that God hadn't told him anything. To my surprise, suddenly Wade got really quiet. He turned the radio back on and plugged in the university address into the navigation system. Soon we were back on the interstate. Now, I was very far from calm, but for whatever reason, he was back on route like nothing had ever happened. He ended up dropping me off at the university without a single word, and I blocked him that night. That didn't stop him, however, as he used his friend's number in Facebook Messenger, calling me all sorts of names. I would also catch him circling around my dorm and waiting outside of it. I would peek outside my window and I would see his white pickup truck parked in the handicapped spot, waiting for me. I have no idea how he got my address. 
Later on, the hospital staff had told me that he had actually called them multiple times, claiming to be my husband and asking about me. Creepy as hell. Eventually, he finally left me alone. I still shudder to think about what would have happened if I hadn't exploded on him like I did. I really wonder where he was taking me. I stopped to think that maybe he was having some kind of mental break, but him turning off and on the navigation really makes me think that he had some kind of awareness to his actions. Anyway, the moral of the story is to not be stupid like me and trust people so easily, especially if you're a young and vulnerable girl. You don't ever owe a man your attention. If they creep you out, just block them. And whatever you do, never get into a car with them. This happened about 10 years ago. I'm a female and at the time this occurred, I was in my late 20s. I was living alone in a relatively big house in a really good neighborhood. It was actually my childhood home, but since the death of my father, my mother had decided to sell our house and she moved to something smaller. This presented me with an opportunity to stay there rent-free while the house was on the market. Anyway, I had worked during the day at the time. I generally got off work around 3.30 in the afternoon, which meant I got home around 4 every day. I tried to always go home right away, even if I had something else to do, because I had a little Yorkshire Terrier that needed to be let outside to do her business, especially after me being gone for 8-9 to nine hours at work. So it's pretty safe to say that I followed the schedule every day. Now to be clear, the location of my house was not on any sort of commercial avenue. This was mainly a suburb. There was an elementary school that was right up the street and a golf course a few blocks away. If people were ever out walking on the neighborhood, it was safe to assume they lived nearby. One day I came home after work as usual, and I had noticed something in the front of the door. It was a small porcelain clown with a Halloween pumpkin face. I thought this was very odd, but I couldn't help but smile. You see, I really love scary movies, and Halloween is my favorite holiday. So I thought it was kind of funny that this weird little doll would end up on my porch. But the question is, how did it end up on my porch? Oh well, I thought. No big deal. Maybe it's just some kids from the school fooling around. Well, about two days later, I had came home from work yet again, and laying in front of my door were flowers. Not just any flowers though, hand-picked flowers, as if they'd just been ripped right from the dirt. I suddenly remembered the clown and I began to wonder if it was the same person. I mean, two things now have deliberately been left in front of my door. I picked the flowers up and I then threw them off to the side of the house. That night is when things started to get a little bit creepy. I kept hearing noises all around the house. I had security lights but those were constantly coming on anyway due to all the rabbits and deer coming into the yard. The dog's ears would always perk up and she would then start growling. It scared me so much that I didn't take the dog outside for the rest of the night. In the morning when I got up, I had started to go about my usual routine. After I started my coffee, I had went to the front door where the dog was eagerly waiting to be let outside. I opened the door and bent down to get the newspaper, and what I saw just absolutely shook me. There were cigarette butts all over my porch. I mean like a dozen of them. And then I see the flowers. 
They had been bundled back up and then placed right next to the door again. I was terrified. This felt hostile to me. It was like somebody wanted me to know that they were there and that they could be whenever they wanted without me knowing. I very rarely stayed at the house by myself after this incident, but nothing else happened. Well, not for another two weeks that is. As I was coming home from work, I noticed that all the lights in the house were on. I never leave them on since it's still daylight when I get home. Upon entering the house, nothing looked disturbed. That is, until I got to my bedroom. My laundry basket had been turned over and my clothes were thrown all over the place. The only thing missing though, were my panties. Yeah, I immediately moved out the next month. Nothing else had happened after this last incident, but I have no clue who this person was, how they knew my schedule, or how the hell they got in my house. Ten years later, and this still really baffles me, but I'm just really glad that I never met this creep in person. At least, not that I'm aware of. About a year ago, my best friend Kay and I were hanging out like normal when we got really bored. We didn't want to just drive around like we normally do, so we decided to make it a road trip to drive to this supposedly haunted park along the southern border of Ohio. After about an hour and a half of driving, enjoying all the city lights and sounds, we arrived. This was about 7 or 8 at night, so the sun was down. I pulled my car into the dark empty parking lot at the base of a really huge hill. We got out of the car and we started walking up the sidewalk. We were really enjoying the night. We took pictures of each other on our phones, then we continued up the path and did everything we came there to do, then deciding to head back to the car. As we were walking down the hill, we passed another parking lot. Sitting there in the parking lot was a black car. It was turned on, but the headlights were off. The windows were completely blacked out, so we weren't able to see who was inside of it. It gave me a really bad vibe, but we just continued to walk unbothered, as if we didn't even see it. Everything was pretty normal until the car slowly started to follow us down the hill. Now a few years ago, women were going missing all around southern Ohio. Some have never been found, and some were even found dead. The person responsible was never caught. Not to mention, Ohio is one of the best states for sex trafficking. So yeah, this is all I could think about as this really creepy car was following us down the hill. I made sure to keep an eye on it out of my peripheral vision as we quickened our pace. The car sped up as well. I told Kay to get off the sidewalk and we cut through the grass and trees down the parking lot. The car sped up and passed us. Thinking everything was okay, we then slowed down. That was until to our horror, we realized that the same creepy car had pulled into the same parking lot we were going to. My heart sank and then some sort of switch flipped inside me, my brain now scrambling to action. I yelled at Kay to run and I took off full speed to my car, unlocking all the doors and screaming the rest of the way down the hill. Kay followed behind me, scared and shaking. I ripped my door open as Kay and I basically just jumped into the car. In a mere seconds, I had started up the car and was backing it up. A light had flicked on inside the really creepy car, which was parked by the only exit. There was a man, bald and white, probably in his late 30s, just sitting there and staring, almost glaring at us. 
There was only one way out of this parking lot. I started to pull towards it when suddenly the creepy man started backing up at full speed towards us, trying to block us in. I punched the gas, swerving around his car, barely missing it. I whipped my car out onto the street, taking random turns, trying to lose him if he followed us. When we were finally sure that nobody was behind us, we then headed home. We pretty much drove in silence almost the whole way back. We were really lucky that day. You always hear the horror stories of women just disappearing without a trace. That could have been us that night. Please everyone, stay observant and always trust your gut. Thank you for listening to my story and stay safe out there. When I was in the sixth grade, I lived about a five minute walk away from my school and I lived in a neighborhood with almost no crime. So walking to and from school wasn't really a safety concern for my family. It was kind of a rainy day outside, but my friends had asked me if I could stay and play at our school's playground for just a little bit longer. I called my mom to see if that was okay with her. Both of my parents are teachers, so they were still at their schools teaching. My mom said it was fine, but just to be home by seven at the latest. I was a pretty good kid, and I never really gave my parents a reason not to trust me, so this wasn't unusual for them to let me stay out late. Right before it hit seven, I decided that it was time for me to head home. About a minute or two into my walk, I had saw a man approach me. I've always been a little bit of a paranoid person, but this man, something about him just really sent shivers down my spine. He had white hair, baggy pants, a ribbed t-shirt, and he had a backpack on him. At first, I just thought he was going to ask me for directions or something like that, but he didn't. He started asking me really random questions like, where do I live, are my parents home right now, why am I out so late, and things like that. I didn't want to answer him, so I just started walking away from him. I took a longer route with more turns to see if he would follow me, and sure enough, he was. At this point, I started running because 10-year-old me was getting really scared. I finally got to my house and I thought that I would be safe because he wouldn't be so crazy to follow me even more, right? No, I was wrong. This crazy psycho dude ran right up to my driveway, inches behind me but I got into my house and locked the door right as he put his hand on the door handle. I started to panic now, knowing that I was in danger. I called my parents because for some reason they still weren't home, but there was no answer. I'm really freaking out at this point and I start to cry. I can now hear the man coming through my gate into my backyard. One of the walls in my kitchen is basically just a window, so I can see my whole backyard from it. And lo and behold, he was standing right on my deck staring at me. The man ran full force into the glass, actually trying to break it. I decide that now is a good time to call the police, so I get on the phone and the operator tells me to grab something to defend myself with and then go into a room that can lock with the window. Before I run away, I look back one last time to see this nasty sweaty body pressed up against the glass. That picture will forever be in my mind. It was the most disturbing thing I had ever seen. The next thing I know, I hear a knock at the bathroom door. It's my dad and he's asking if I'm in there and if I'm okay. He comes in and I explain to him everything that happened and how I was really scared. He said he talked to the police officers outside when he got home. Turns out that the man was a dangerous homeless man with several mental illnesses. 
The police managed to catch him and they took him to a mental institution where he's still there to this day. This experience has really scarred me and I will always remember that man pressed up against my window. I know he'll never see this, but just in case you do, I never want to see your face ever again.